the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We are moving into 2 Thessalonians. And 2 Thessalonians, as you can tell by the name, is actually a follow-up letter by Paul to the Thessalonian church. And in that letter, you see Paul wanting to be an encourager, wanting to continue to disciple this young church. He sees them as his extended pastorate. He sees himself as their spiritual father. And he's keeping up with the church through, probably through third parties. As I had mentioned before when we began First Thessalonians, Thessalonica was a city that was a major trading city. It was a major port. So most likely a lot of common acquaintances passed in and out of that area and kept Paul up on what was going on in that small church. Paul had a deep love for them, and he was concerned for them. Now, Paul, at this time, is in Corinth. And I don't know how many of you have read First and Second Corinthians, but Paul and fellows were up to their neck in all kinds of issues with the Corinthian church. It is absolutely a miracle that they were able to keep up with, or even communicate, had time to communicate with the Thessalonians. But Paul had a sweet relationship there. And also, I am sure, based on all the issues he had in Corinth, that the Thessalonian fellowship was probably a sweet distraction because this was a faithful church. This was an exceptional church. In fact, Paul points to them as an example. The other thing I want to remind you of is that this young church of believers, and most of them were only weeks old in the faith, Everybody, including the leadership of that church, there was nobody there that that had walked very long with the Lord, were undergoing severe persecution. Now, that's what Paul writes. And I think Paul is somewhat of an expert on what severe persecution looks like. So Paul says that they're undergoing a really tough persecution. You can pretty much bet it's a tough persecution. In fact, one of the things he says is that He writes to him in verse 4, which we'll go over later. He says that they were in the midst of persecutions and crushing distresses and afflictions. Now, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to work our way through to verse uh, verse number 5. 
And one of the things I want you to notice about this, for those of you who have been following along in the Thessalonian study, is that in the beginning of this chapter and this book, he names some prayers that were answered, prayers that he prayed at the beginning or during the first letter. There were prayers answered. Paul had been praying fervently for this church, as I'm sure the church had been praying for itself, and prayers that Paul specifically mentions in 1 Thessalonians, he calls answered in 2 Thessalonians. And you'll see a lot of uh, references to prayer. The other thing is that though this fellowship is small, and the believers were only weeks old in the faith, they were an exceptional church. And as I said before, Paul pointed to them as an example. And he says, this is a dynamic church. And I would ask you the question, what kind of church do you think Paul would prize? What kind of church would he say is an exceptional church? Would it be because they had a dynamic pastor? We don't even know who their pastor was. His name's not even mentioned in the book. Was it because they had a large membership? Well, no. In fact, they were quite small. Was it because the membership was wealthy and influential? We don't have any evidence of that either. He doesn't mention the successful programs that they have. He doesn't mention the number of people who attended Sunday school. There's no mention of any of the things that we today would mark a successful church with. But he says it's an exceptional church. And he points to it and says, this is a church you need to follow their example. These young believers are believers that you need to look at and say, what is it that makes their life dynamic and real? And that's the thing that you're going to take away about the Thessalonians. If you haven't caught it yet from the first book or the first letter, you can catch it in the second. They were real, just like you're real. And they lived day to day, just like you lived day to day. And they lived moment by moment. And they had a soul, a mind, will, and emotions that were affected by their surroundings. And there were all kinds of things that pulled at them. Not the least of which was persecution. Not the least of which was rejection. So how did this church become an exceptional church? Well, you're going to see some hints of that in this, these first five verses. Read with me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5. Paul, Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy, to the church, assembly of the Thessalonians, in God our Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Grace, unmerited favor be to you. And heart peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. We ought and indeed are obligated as those in debt to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, as is fitting because your faith is growing exceedingly and the love of every one of you each toward the other is increasing and abounds. And this is a cause of our mentioning you with pride among the churches, assemblies of God, for your steadfastness, your unflinching endurance and patience, and your firm faith in the midst of all the persecutions and crushing distresses and afflictions under which you are holding up. This is positive proof of the just and right judgment of God to the end that you may be deemed deserving of his kingdom, a plain token of his fair verdict, which designs that you should be made and counted worthy of the kingdom of God. 
for the sake of which you are also suffering. You also notice at the beginning of this chapter, he doesn't begin with the usual titles like he does in a lot of his letters. He doesn't start with that because there is an intimacy between them. There's a link, a familiarity, and they're not necessary any longer. The first thing that Paul does is in the very beginning, he draws them, he draws their attention to who they are, to their intimate union with God the Father. Now, these last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about living out of our union as opposed to living out of our soul. And you look at the situation that these Thessalonians were actually living in. In that situation where you are literally being persecuted, where you are having your life affected in a major way by people who hate you, people who totally disdain who you are and what you stand for, who are looking to hurt you in some way, When you have this pressing down upon you, is it possible for you to just live out of your mind, will, and emotions with any sense of hope, with any sense of joy, with any sense of peace, not apart from your union with Christ? God never intended for you to live out of your soul. Your soul is to be the expression of your spirit, and your spirit lives in constant union with Him. In that place, there is oneness. In that place, there is peace. In that place, all that is true of Christ is true of you. In that place, every expression of the Spirit of God, everything that Christ died to give us, is yea and amen in that place. When we yield our soul, our mind, will, and emotion to the truth of who we are in our spirit, when we allow the Spirit of God to fill the mind, will, and emotion, when we allow that to be the focus of our life, then we can face these things like the Thessalonians have faced with some sense of confidence, with some sense of joy, with some sense of hope, because it's not in the externals, it's not in those things without, it's in the Christ within. That's how He made us to live. This is how the Thessalonians were able to walk with such confidence. And here's here's the interesting thing. Because they had not walked very long with the Lord, because they had not been inundated with all kinds of methodology and religious aspects, they had simply to live out of their relationship, yielding to the Spirit of God to teach them and grow them on how to live the Christian life. They didn't have a book. They didn't even have a Bible. And they were able to stand firm. In fact, the references we just read said unflinching. Why? Because what was within them was so much greater than what they faced without. If you live in your soul, you need everything that the world needs to survive. If you live in the mind, will, and emotions, if that is your place of residence, if that is your identity, you need all the coping mechanisms that the world has to have. Because there's nothing supernatural about your mind. There's nothing supernatural about your emotions. And the will depends upon who you're listening to. We were designed to live out of our union with Christ. That's the supernatural life. That is the life of abundance. 
And yes, I am driving that home, and I'll continue to drive that home. That is where life is. Paul is saying, that is where this church is. That is where they have their substance and significance. That is where their collective union is. It's in Christ. There was a oneness, a singleness of mind that identified them as the church of God or the body of Christ. They were identified by their life source. What are you identified by? Your body? Well, listen, Christian, your body is not your life source. Have you figured that one out? Well, you're not old enough yet if you haven't. Just live a few more years. You'll figure it out. Your body is not your life source. And they were identified by their life source, which was Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul speaking says, And he has put all things under his feet, and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all, for in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything with himself, everywhere with himself. This little church lives from the head. In their immaturity, they didn't know any better than just to yield to the life that makes everything complete. They didn't need the usual trappings of church because they had a life within them that made everything complete. They had Jesus. They might ask, well, how are we going to build a church? Well, we're going to yield to the life that makes everything complete. Well, how are we going to disciple our people? Well, we're going to yield to a life that makes everything complete. Verse 2 says, Grace, unmerited favor be to you, and heart peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. Now Paul speaks a blessing on the church that can only come from the Lord. And you know, Paul uses this blessing quite often. He's saying that may they live in the confidence of His grace. May the peace of His presence continually rule over their souls. Now, this is a blessing that is already active in the life of a believer. It's already active in your life. You say, well, you don't know my life, or you'd say something different. No, it's the truth. Grace and peace surrounds you. Grace and peace is within you. And you know what? The difference between the Christian who walks in that truth and the Christian who cannot walk in that truth is one looks for it, and the other one refuses to see it. That's the difference. Do you know, want to know why most Christians can say that they don't have peace? It's because they have peace. They define peace by something they can understand. And peace is a person. It's Jesus. And if I want to experience peace in my soul, if I want to experience rest in my living then I must embrace Him. I must say to Him, Lord Jesus, You are literally my life. I have abandoned myself to all manner of things in the past, and they have brought me nothing but death. Lord, You are now my life. I refuse to walk out of externals. 
I refuse to look to anything else to heal me or to make me help me cope with this world. I refuse to live any other way. You are who you say you are. You are my life. I will look for you in every moment of my day. I will seek you as a deer pants for water in every moment of my day. I will live for you and I will know you in my living. This person allows the scales to drop from their eyes and they see with new eyes of faith. They begin to see. When you draw close to God, suddenly you have reason to praise. You begin to see the fact that it was Him that was protecting you all along. You begin to see the fact that it was Him that guided you to the place where you are. You begin to see that even the tough and difficult things in life had ministry in the midst of them. There was grace afforded you in that. You begin to see that you have a God who has never departed from you, never taken His fellowship from you, but has literally walked with you every moment of your life. And your eyes are now open to the truth. And in that there's peace. Do you think you could be peaceful if Jesus was sitting next to you? Do you think? He's doing better than that. He's put Himself in union with you. If you haven't found the grace and the peace of God, it's because you have blinded yourself with this world and this flesh. God the Father speaks to Paul. And in the inerrant Scripture, He says to Paul, as Paul writes, Paul, grace and peace to them. For that's who I am. Grace and peace to you. For that's who He is. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? You should. You're surrounded by His grace. You're surrounded by His peace. This blessing can only come from the Lord. It's continuous. That is present tense. He wants them to live in the confidence of that grace. He wants them to live in the peace of His presence. He wants these things to rule in their mind, will, and emotion. When we choose to walk in the truth of God, God allows us to see this grace and peace experientially. And that's where it comes down to it, isn't it? Experientially? I mean, it's one thing to read it in Scripture. But it's something else entirely to wake up in the morning and by faith say, You know what, Father? I am blessed. I'm going to live this day by your grace. Whether I recognize it or not, I want to see it. I have your peace. Whether I feel it or not, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to live in it. Surround me with truth, Father. I abide in you. Look at verse number 3. We ought and indeed are obligated as those in debt to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith is growing exceedingly, and the love of every one of you, each toward the other, is increasing and abounds. I want you to notice that Paul is not bragging on externals. He's not speaking to externals, such as programs and activities. He's speaking to their spiritual growth. That's what he prizes most in them. Now, some have said that I preach against programs, and I'm not against programs. I want you to understand that. I'm not against programs. I'm against anything that is deemed essential to the work of God. 
save Jesus himself. I'm against anything that is deemed essential to the work of God, save Jesus himself. Because God may use programs, and God may use people, but none of those things are essential to him. He's essential to us. We don't need the programs. We got the God. <laughs> we got his life within us. And we'll, we'll use whatever he brings to us for his glory. Also, Paul is rejoicing and thanking God for answering prayer concerning the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 3.10, y'all may remember this, and if you don't, look back at it. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, And we continue to pray, especially, and with most intense earnestness, night and day, that we may see you face to face, and mend and make good whatever may be imperfect and lacking in your faith. See the answered prayer? Paul was hoping to be a part of that physically by being there, but you know what? Paul, God allowed Paul to share in this through prayer. And that word, what is lacking, actually means what grows beyond what is expected. And they had grown beyond, so far beyond everybody's expectation because they had rested and lived out of the truth within them. You see, they were just young enough and new enough to believe that God would do everything that he said he'd do. And you know, by believing that, step by step, they said, you know what, I'm facing this, but I'm going to walk forward in the strength of the Lord. I know the God that is within me. Though I have not known him long, I know that his strength is sufficient for me. I know that his life is sufficient for me. So I will walk in that strength. And they step forward into each situation, in each circumstance of their life, into each challenge, in each persecution, into each situation. They walked in with the absolute hope and faith that God would be their peace, that God would be grace to them that God would sustain them. And as they walked at each step, He affirmed their faith. As they walked, they began to know Him in a greater and more real and experiential way. He became real to them. And as He became real to them, He filled up what was lacking in their faith experientially. And Paul says, I have to praise you because your faith is enlarging. Your faith is growing. How does faith grow? Well, listen, God is the author and finisher of your faith. The faith itself doesn't grow. That simple trust, it doesn't have to be too much. Jesus tried to illustrate it by saying it could be the very smallest faith. It could be the very weakest faith. It could be faith that is not, that is not very substantial at all. It doesn't have to be the faith of Billy Graham. It doesn't have to be the faith of the Apostle Paul. It can be the weakest faith, small as a mustard seed. And that faith is every bit as big as the God behind it. And they expanded in their God. (laughs) They expanded in their God. Their faith was never huge, but it doesn't take huge. Aren't you glad that God is for the weakest. He didn't say that if you have faith as big as a mountain, you can know me. You can know my power. You can know my sufficiency. But I more often than not am praying the prayer of the man who said to Jesus, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Aren't you? 
But in that, there is a mustard seed. There's a grain of faith. And that grain of faith accesses the God who loves you intimately. And he rushes forward to make Romans 8.28 work in every situation of your life. He rushes forward to expose you to the greatest gift, the greatest blessing, the greatest and most richest thing that he's placed in your life. And that is his son. He could expose you to that. Paul says... Oh, I rejoice in your expanding faith, your growing faith. And you know what? Truth is, persecution sifts believers. It'll prove their faith. It will reveal what is lacking. As it causes us to live out of the union we have with Christ rather than out of our souls, we begin to trade our hope, our hope in this world, our hope in others, our hope in in the future for our hope in Him for trust in Him. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation, rest in His life moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.